We're, uh, we're continuing our summer uh, series today uh, called Knowing God by Name. And if uh, perchance you're kind of hopping in for the first time, this is a series where we're looking at the names of God uh, in the Old Testament with this idea that um, the, the heart of Christianity isn't uh, just knowing about God. It has to do with actually knowing God as, as a person. And there's... There's a vast distance between those two realities, right? Knowing about God is religion. Knowing God is its relationship. It's it's actually what eternal life is. You know, Jesus himself said it. Check this out. Now, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And these these names of God in scripture reveal who God is. And it's an amazing thing, really, because there's a progressive revelation of this through the Old Testament. And it seems that God reveals some aspect of his character just as we need it. It's, It's really pretty incredible. And really, what Jesus did was culminate this work of making God known, kind of fully and finally, the specific revelation of God in Jesus. If we want to know what God is like, we look at Jesus, says the scripture. And Jesus himself said this. He said this in prayer as he was praying to God. He prayed, I have made you known to them, Father, and will continue to make you known by the Holy Spirit. Right? So God is in the business of, of revelation, of, of making himself known to people. And the name we're considering today, this week, is Jehovah Shalom, or the Lord is peace. And uh, as far as I can tell, it appears only one time in scripture, in Judges chapter six. And we'll, we'll look at that passage in just a moment. But just, just by way of quick reminder, this was really helpful to me when I learned it. When you're reading your Bible and you see different names for God in, in English, there are some cues that can help you know what the, what the word actually was, what the original name was so that you can apply the appropriate meaning. If you see Lord in all capitals, it's usually like this. It's usually in different font size. Like the first L is a bigger font size, but then the O-R-D, it's in capitals, but a smaller font size. But it's all capitals nonetheless. When you see that, that's the, that's the English translator's way of translating the actual name of God, Yahweh. Or through a, through a strange series of translational choices, we get Jehovah, uh, but, but really, this, is, this, this one is God's actual name. You know, I think uh, several weeks back we talked about this name in particular and I, I kind of uh, was picking on Pastor Josh, actually. I said we, we might call Pastor Josh Pastor Josh or Pastor, but his actual name is Josh. In, in Scripture, this is actually the name of God. It's not uh, something about what God does for people like all of the other names are. This is God's name, so that's important when you read that in, in your Bible. If it's capital L, small, small case, lowercase O-R-D, that's the name Adonai. And if, it's actually, if it actually reads God, that's typically the name Elohim, which is kind of less personal, strong, creator, this, this kind of thing. So those are the, the names in general. Uh, there are foundational names. These are those. And compound names where you pair some of these things together with some other aspect of God's character. Like today, today we have Yahweh Shalom, 
or the Lord is peace, or, or uh, Jehovah Shalom in some translations. So again, it appears in uh, Judges chapter 6. Let's look at that. If you're less familiar with the Bible, the book of Judges records a time in the history of Israel where uh, the, the people went through these cycles of faithfulness and faithlessness. It seems like everybody kind of turned their own way and did, to quote the, the, that book of the Bible, what was right in their own eyes. And they, they left God. And then there's a cycle. God kind of raises up a leader and brings them back. Then the people return. And then it happens all over again. Then they leave. Then they come back. Then they leave. Then they come back. If you're a follower of Jesus, you know about this cycle because you've lived it. There's a reason here. There's a spiritual reality behind all of this. So we pick up on Gideon's story. We'll look at uh, uh, Judges chapter 6, starting at verse 11. I'll read through verse 24. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak of Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abizrite where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon responded or replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you. And you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Gideon replied, If now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. Gideon went inside, prepared a young goat, and from an ephah of flour he made bread without yeast. Putting the meat in a basket and its broth in a pot, he brought them out and offered them to him under the oak. The angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened bread, place them on this rock and pour out the broth. Gideon did so. The angel, then the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread with the tip of the staff that was in his hand. Fire flared from the rock, consuming the meat and the bread and the angel of the Lord disappeared. When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Alas, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace, do not be afraid. You are not going to die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it, The Lord is Peace. To this day, it stands in Ophrah of the Abizarites. Friends, indeed, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There was a king who offered a prize 
to the artist in his realm who would paint the best picture of peace. That was the challenge, to paint peace. Many tried. Two pictures rose to the top to be judged by the king as to which would win. The first was a painting of a calm lake, a a perfect mirror of the beautiful mountains around the lake, big puffy white clouds in the sky. Perfect peace, all was calm. The second picture had mountains too, but they were stark, dark, rugged, bare. The sky was black with lightning, torrential rain, trees bent under what looked to be hurricane force winds. Down the side of the mountain tumbled an angry waterfall, clearly overflowing, consuming everything in its path. And just at the bottom of the picture, in the left lower corner, in the shelter of the rock, stood a little bird with a little light kind of shining on it that the artist painted. Its mouth was open, and it was singing a beautiful song. And the king chose the second picture because he said, it showed the truest manifestation of peace, a well-being that resonates from within despite what's going on all around. And we, we get that reality. A peace can be interpreted as the absence of conflict. But we know it's more than that because the absence of conflict can just be a state of truce. That's not real peace. Peace can be interpreted as the presence of calm. But at some level, we know that that can't be the deepest definition either because when everything is calm around you, you're supposed to be calm. It's easy to be calm. Being at peace means you're at rest when everything else around you seems to be wrong. That's real peace. I mean, we, we get that reality of the set, that second picture, don't we? And long for this, a, a contentment beyond our circumstances, a settledness beyond our situation, a peace beyond our problems. And that is exactly what the Bible means by the word that's translated peace. It's the word shalom. And it it means peace in the sense of wholeness and completeness and well-being. And if you do a deeper dive with this word, there's more. And this is one of the most significant words in the Old Testament. And it has a range of meaning. It, it can mean whole, finished, full. It can mean to repay in the sense of making good a loss. It pertains to physical welfare. It can be translated that way. It can mean to pay or perform in the sense of fulfilling an obligation. It can mean perfect. One one scholar sums up the meaning of shalom in this way. Shalom is a harmony of relationships or a reconciliation based upon the completion of a transaction, the payment of a debt, the giving of satisfaction. 
It expressed the deepest desire and need of the human heart. It represented the greatest measure of contentment and satisfaction in life. This is the word that describes human life when nothing is amiss. Nothing. Nothing in you is amiss. When nothing around you is amiss. When nothing in the world in which you live is amiss. This is the word that describes when everything is exactly as it's supposed to be. This is God's intent for us. I hope you know that and hold it deeply. God's intention for you and for me from the very beginning has been that we would enjoy and live a life where there's nothing amiss. No struggle with sin whatsoever. Now we're not experiencing that right now because of the fall but it is what God intended for us and it is what God is rebuilding. This is God's mission in in the world, God's vision for the world. Shalom is God's vision for the world. But, But ever since the fall, there have been spiritual currents that pull us away from God. We choose to jump in the lake and those currents pull us right out and I mean, this has been in the news recently, and it's been windy out at Lake Michigan, right? And us West Michiganders have probably seen this sign out at the lake. It's the whole bit about, you know, you don't escape a rip current by trying to swim right back to the beach. You've got to swim 90 degrees. Otherwise, they're going to get sucked way out there. Did you know that there are spiritual rip currents that pull us away from God? We jump into the, the lake... And those currents suck us right out to sea. The book of Judges describes this spiritual reality. It was going on back then. It's going on right now. Look at this from Judges 2. The angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochim and said, I brought you up out of Egypt and led you into the land I swore to give your ancestors. I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And you shall not make a covenant with the people of this land but you shall break down their altars. Yet you have disobeyed me. Why have you done this? And I have also said, they will become traps for you and their gods will become snares for you. The currents. Just moving us away from God much faster than we can swim. In in kind of plain speak, it says, Beware the spiritual rip currents. The small G gods of culture in which we live are pulling us away from God. I mean, they they do. They really do. We're concerned about so many things. Says one author, God reminds his people that he was the, the one who saved, delivered, released, sustained, and protected them. Yet despite his gentle hand, they turned away from him and adopted the culture's foreign gods. And those rip currents pull us away from God and they lead to a place where everyone, quote, did what was right in their own eyes. I mean, you've, you've heard it. It's kind of the mantra of our day. Uh, yeah, go. If it doesn't hurt anybody, go for it. 
mean, there, there were no standards, no guidelines, no better way to live than what the individual made up their minds to do. Now, granted, that kind of life, um, you know, doing whatever you want, whenever you want, as long as it doesn't hurt anybody, that kind of life has curb appeal because when you're just driving by and you look at it, it looks like freedom and happiness and contentment. But when you schedule the home inspection, you learn that's not true. Uh, just, just look at the fruit of this. Our world is the same world as that in the book of Judges. Everyone does what's right in their own eyes and the result is weariness, restlessness, dissatisfaction, and increased depression. I mean, set the Bible aside, right? Set every spiritual belief aside. If you just open your eyes and look at what's going on in the world today and the fruit that's being born in the lives of people, just with a purely pragmatic argument, you can say, this is not working. We need something different. You know, in, in Bible language, those spiritual rip currents are called idolatry and worldliness. It just, it just means the stuff that we try to put in God's place. We think all this stuff is important and it's, it's really not. The, the rip currents pull us away from God to the point that when we get to the story of Gideon in Judges 6, Gideon is, judge, is questioning God's presence altogether. Did, did you catch that in the text? When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all of this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about? When they said, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. You, you hear this every day. I've made the argument. I imagine you probably have too. Something really horrible, terribly hard happens in life. And we wonder, we think, where's God? What, what's going on? If God is real, how could this possibly happen? You know, all the bad stuff happens and, and we wonder, where is God in all of this? I mean, maybe God's real, but... He doesn't care. Or may, maybe God cares, but can't do anything about the bad stuff or is choosing not to. So that either makes him weak or not as good as we thought. Anyway, this doesn't make sense. If God is real, why? Why this stuff? It, it sure doesn't feel like God is with us. So honestly, where's the disconnect, right? The angel comes to Gideon and said, the Lord is with you. And Gideon responds, but now the Lord has abandoned us. So is God with us or not? Really? I mean, what do we do with the tension between Sunday morning when we gather here and we do that very intentionally because we all know we need to keep hearing the story over and over again. What do we do with the tension between right now 
and all the other times when we're thinking, okay, no, I was, we worshiped and I, I believe the Bible, I, I believe, but man, it doesn't feel like God's here. Is God with me or has God abandoned me? You know, after this interaction, uh, the Lord said to Gideon, I, I, will, I will be with you. And Gideon says this, if now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it's really you talking to me. Please don't go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. So Gideon went inside, prepared a young goat, and from an ephah of flour, he made bread without yeast. If you do the homework on this passage, you learn that this was actually a peace offering as detailed in Leviticus 6. I'm sorry, Leviticus 7. One of the offerings that God told people to grant. One, one was to bring a peace offering when you felt in dire need of deliverance. It was a plea for help, a request for rescue. Gideon prepared that offering. The angel told him to put it on a rock or the angel touched the rock with the tip of his staff and the whole thing was consumed in fire. To which Gideon responded, Alas, sovereign Lord, I've seen the face of the angel. I'm sorry, I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. And God reassures him, Peace, don't be afraid. One of the most common experiences when human beings have a real encounter with God is we freak out because we say, Whoa, God is real. God is not just an idea that we talk about on Sunday mornings. God is real and a real person. And when we have those breakthrough kind of experiences, when we realize that God is right here, not way up there somewhere, the Lord is present, Emmanuel, God with us. And we say, whoa. And how many times did Jesus say, you know, don't be afraid, peace, peace, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. See, Gideon is no longer questioning God's presence. He asked to be delivered, and God responded by making his presence known. Important point there. Gideon requested deliverance, and God responded by making his presence known. In the time of, of Judges, Israel knew no peace because it no longer knew God's presence. The same spiritual math applies to all people everywhere. And it's, it's throughout the Bible if you have eyes to see it. Look at Psalm 46 really quick. God is our refuge and our strength. An ever-present help in times of present. All the time. Therefore, we will not fear. Why, will we, uh, why won't we fear? Because God is present. This is, this is throughout scripture. Only the presence of God brings shalom. And the problem is that we choose to depart God's presence through our disobedience and sin. You know, it's not that God leaves us. We leave God. We dive into the lake and those spiritual rip currents suck us right out into the middle of the big, of the big lake. And then, if we're brutally honest now, and then in our utter ignorance blindness and arrogance we say God's abandoned us that's the truth of it I mean do you know why they call them rip currents 
R-I-P, rest in peace. No joke. Because these things will kill you. They, they suck you out into the ocean, into the lake. And you need to be rescued because you're not going to make it back on your own. And the Apostle Paul had the right perspective in Romans 7, right? What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body, of, this body that's, that's subject to death? He was unpacking his struggle with sin, wrestling with it. Like, I know there's, there are rip currents. I know they suck you out there. And I find my, I just keep diving into the lake. What's my problem? And what's going to fix it? Gladly, there is an answer. Right? Promised long ago in the Old Testament, born that first Christmas day. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Shalom. The Prince of Shalom. The Prince of that time and space when everything is as it's supposed to be. Nothing amiss. The one who would make the once for all peace offering on behalf of those in dire need of deliverance and thus restore the possibility of a relationship with God, of a life lived every moment now and forever in the presence of God. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus was the tangible, literally now, tangible, incarnate presence of God with us. This stuff is real. The presence of God brings peace and the only way we're restored to God's presence is through Jesus. There is no other way. There never has been another way and there never will be another way. Again, Jesus said it. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Again, not because I say so or any Christian says so, because Jesus said so. And the reason is, again, that when you're out in the middle of the lakes, you dove in and the rip current sucked you out, you don't need a better religious idea or a different spiritual philosophy. You need to be rescued. And someone else has to do that. That's what the cross is all about. That's what the gospel is all about, that God has provided that rescue. It's available to us right now. Jesus is the way back to God. And, and that, that way involves inviting us back into this wholeness, this shalom project in, in which God is engaged right now. Look, look at some of the things that Jesus said. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Everything made right again. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. I'm making everything new. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Peace 
I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And the, more, the more you dive into this, the more beautiful it becomes. God is good through and through. Though we're the ones who dove in the lake and got sucked out to see, God rescues us, has rescued us in Christ, invited us back. His intent is our good our wholeness, a restoration of, of us to what he wanted us to be, despite ourselves, really. So what's our part? What, what do we do to live in peace? I mean, this is how we pursue the Lord who is peace. I mean, we accept Christ. And I, I, I'm, I'm fully aware that different people are in different places on this most fundamental thing. We might have been in church our whole lives. We might be brand new to this whole thing. I remember when people talked to me about receiving Jesus or or accepting Jesus into my heart and I I was completely baffled by their vocabulary. I had no idea what they meant. What Christians mean by this is a transfer of trust. Because if 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 we get in a quiet place and are brutally honest with ourselves and look inside there is only one of two things going on inside. Either we're working really hard, we've got some kind of angle that we're working to somehow make ourselves better or or, or a path that we're pursuing that we think if we walk that or head that way, or maybe the visual is a mountain that we're climbing and we're gonna work our way back up to God. The, The first option is us doing something to make our way to God. And the second option is really trusting that God has come to us in Christ. That whoever we were trying to seek by climbing the mountain or following the path, you know, at at the top of the mountain or at the end of that path, that person has come from that place to us. That's what Christmas is, right? He moved into our neighborhood. Uh, So accepting Christ is simply internally transferring your trust from, you know, climbing or journeying or, you know, calculating with your spiritual, cal- whatever it is that we're doing, or you maybe got the religious tool belt on, you're building your way a ladder, uh, building yourself a ladder as a way out of this. Whatever thing that we're doing, you got to just abandon that. The entire Bible is about how that stuff never works. It just makes you tired and you're exhausted, and at the end of the day, it gets you nowhere. I mean, the way to do this is to rest, let go, let God place your trust in Jesus and what he did on the cross. And yeah, there's a first time that we do that, and if you've never kind of experienced that, I'd love to talk to you more if you want to talk. And those of us who've already done that, we still do that every day, don't we? I mean, we make that decision every day to trust, to rest, to recite Psalm 46 again and again and again and say, yes, that is true. God is an ever-present help in our times of trouble. So, accept Christ. Seek the Lord. Bible's full of this too. I mean, if you read the Bible in a short period of time, rifle your way through. I did this once. I thought I would hate it, but I loved it. I read the whole Bible in 90 days. And the two big things that emerged for me were seek the Lord and bless the world. Seek the Lord. Scripture's full of this. 
not just on Sunday mornings, not just in a class here or here. Make this search for God the highest priority of your life. As if at the end of the road, you're going to find something worth $150 million. Go after it like that. And says the Bible, the Lord is with you when you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. I I love this because it's so carefully worded. If you seek him, you don't find him. Because you and I are never the subject in a sentence that includes God. God is always the subject. Right? If you seek him, he will allow himself to be found by you. God is the one who acts. God is the one who reveals. God is the one who gives the gift of faith. God does all of this. So pursuing the Lord who is peace, accept Christ, seek the Lord, avoid willful sin. If you follow Jesus for any amount of time, you know this. We know this. Uh, as, as Neil Plantinga in, in a very fine book pointed out, sin is a violation of shalom. All sin violates God's vision for the world where everything's right and nothing's amiss. Sin is a violation of shalom and and really every good intention that God has for us in our lives. When we sin, we walk away from our relationship with God. Think of it in the Lake Michigan terms again, that the choice to sin willfully is the choice to venture into the lake on a high wave day when all the red flags are up. I mean, King David wrote of this in Psalm 51, right? After the incident with Bathsheba, he committed adultery and ultimately had that woman's husband killed. And after that, he wrote this this psalm. And in there, he, he writes, Lord, keep your servant from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Because when they rule over us, we're continually making the the decision to depart God's presence. And God's presence is the whole deal. It is that to which Jesus wants to restore us. So in a way, when we choose to walk away, we're, uh, I I had this vision one time when I was grappling with willful sin, that, that what I was doing in essence is if the Lord was like right here close I was kind of like putting my, my hands right in Jesus' face and going, I don't want you. Really? Of course I want you. Accept Christ, seek the Lord, avoid willful sin, and bless the world. There's, there's no higher calling, no greater purpose than to work with God in what God is doing in the world. Because when we bless the world, we make our little daily, maybe minute by minute, hourly contribution to the great Shalom project. God's doing it, but he's invited us to participate, to make everything right again. So wherever in your world you know that something's wrong, as a follower of Jesus, we're called to seek to try to make it right. Right? Blessing, blessing the world, be it mercy or justice or service, I mean, adding to this project. 
you know, making a deposit to this project rather than, than an ATM withdrawal, right? Bless the world. The biggest takeaway here is that peace is only found in God's presence. That this is the stream of thinking throughout the scripture. And Jesus was named Emmanuel, God with us, emphasizing God's presence. Uh, the kingdom will be a kingdom lived in God's presence. God himself will be their God and they will be his people, says the book of Revelation. Right? The presence of God is shalom. We heard it in the peace this morning, earlier in the day. For, for now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. So trust the premise. God will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Pray with me, please. God, would you help us? Uh, with the Apostle Paul, we cry out for help. We know ourselves, Lord. We know that uh, while we're confident that we're your children, if we're in Christ, that, that you love us, that you accept us, that you approve of us, we know ourselves and we feel that tension that the Apostle Paul named. There, there's something still in us that wants to dive into the lake when the red flags are up. And we pray, God, that you would help us with that. We pray that you would pour out your spirit on us, that you would make us aware of your presence with us. Uh, we pray, Lord, that you would help us in, in that. Increase our faith today. Increase our experience of you today. Increase our awareness that you are with us right now and every moment of our lives. Thank you that you are making things in this world right again. Even us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.